Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fitz, my intros were so bad that they just got rid of them altogether. We, we're not even doing them anymore. The algorithm said no more of this. Like, And I don't blame them because they were awful. But now we just got a cold open, which... I don't know that it's going to be either of our specialties, but it's the mailbag. Like I said, this is somebody else's, this is somebody else's baby. So we're going to take their questions. We're going to answer them and we're going to get right into it without a video package, without anything like that. And hopefully we didn't lose 10% of our listeners or viewers right off the bat. Like the algorithm says we might, but I, but I just nailed that. Right. I mean, that was, yeah, yeah, that was the absolutely. right. Yeah. Okay. You're wonderful. All right. Great job. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, literally, let's just get right into it. I don't know that there's anything necessarily to talk about off the top. Penn State winter workouts still going on. Uh, a few things. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, first question. First question from Kreiner. What was your guys' favorite game to cover? And for Nate, what was your favorite basketball game to cover? Um, what do you got, Fritz? I, I like both Rose Bowls, or actually, I've co- covered three Rose Bowls. The first one was very forgettable um, and and sickly, um, but the last two. So I know Penn State didn't beat USC, but that was a game with very little downtime and a lot of high points. You know, it's like a, a, a wrestling match with a ton of high spots that, uh, you know, kept, catches your attention and just keeps it. And that's what it was. And, you know, unfortunately, from the, the coverage standpoint, Penn State didn't come out on top, but that was fun to watch. This year's Rose Bowl was different in that, like, I thought Penn State would win. I thought it'd be close. I thought Utah would be better than, than they were. And of course they had some guys missing and quarterback gets hurt and everything, et cetera. Um, but to cover a stress-free national new year six bowl game is something that I would take every single year, you know, granted without a playoff, uh, playoff entry there. Um, but that was a good one, man. Like I, I really enjoyed this year's Rose bowl because it was, it was as stress-free as it comes. I mean, I know it was a close game in the first half, but like to see that, to see the, the background to see all that kind of stuff that we love about the Rose bowl, even though the weather was not great, we were up in a box. So we're, you know, disconnected from all that. Um, But for that to, to come around, I mean, I'm 15 years into covering this team and to have it just like smack me in the face with one of my favorite games I've covered. I'll, I'll take that every day. I think that's fair. I I'm honestly, I would choose the Rose bowl twice as well, but not the most recent one. The, The most recent one would be my third of that group. Uh, I thought the 08 game, just the first time there, it's just different. It, it's you, you weren't violently throwing up in the bathroom for that. One, right? I was, I was not violently. Okay, throwing we had up. a different was, experience. Yeah, yeah. No, I was on a, uh, I, I had a liquid diet the night before, so I did not obtain any of the food poisoning that anybody else did, which you know it ended up being to my benefit. It's uh, a heavy play. <laughs> I, I know. Well, you know, I was a veteran at a young age. Uh, I thought that that game was. Fun. USC was nuts. I thought that was like a great Southern Cal team. You know, just you don't get to see that necessarily all the time. And I would argue that that was, uh, if not the best team in the country, they they could have played for a national championship that year. So that was a fun game to cover. And then the 16 game was just like over the top. 
it was just constant, uh, like crazy plays. The Godwin catch. I always go to the Barkley run, but the Godwin catch. I mean, you just you, you name it. There were really a ton of back and forths, and it was just it was uh, it was excellent. Uh, yeah, and then. But sorry, people people would say like the 2016 Ohio State game. That, that was not a fun game until like no. things started happening. And yeah. you know, that that's obviously a big part of it and what people remember. But yeah, it was not not that fun of a game. And you know, some of those whiteouts have been have been great and some of them not so much. But like you think about these marquee wins over the last 10 years, and like it's tough to say that that was an all-time enjoyable experience. I mean, most of the time you're you're on the edge of your seat for for those type of games, but like uh yeah those rose bowls i'll take the stress free ones and the uh food poisoning free ones like every day oh oh five ohio state was I, I was in a different role i was i was doing bwi stuff but i was um on the field for that game that was kind of crazy too like i would say that the the tomba holly sack was uh over the top in terms of the moment um you know in that game i would also actually argue that uh some of the games at ohio state that i've you know, that Penn state has played 17 yeah. was just like great, great game. I, I know Penn state fans don't want to hear that, but uh, that is one of my favorite environments in college football. Great one of my favorite, one of my favorite environments in college basketball is uh, I have two actually for you. The Palestra games have been awesome. Uh, any, anytime that you're courtside, we have terrible seats at the Bryce Jordan center. Uh, I mean, it's an awful venue to begin with. Uh, the fans, it does, it, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, but, but the Bryce Jordan Center never has good games to cover. But floor seats, courtside at the Palestra against Iowa and Penn State, Michigan State. Uh, and then the NIT run where uh, they had a couple of games at Madison Square Garden. Being on the, on the floor for those uh, were pretty awesome. So anyway, all right, moving on. What were your favorite basketball games to cover, Fitz? I covered okay. basketball a couple times. Um, I can't remember any specifics about covering basketball a couple times, but I, I've, I've been in that building. I'd, I'd rather be on the floor than on the in the in the seats. You know that. So <laughs> that's true. Anyway, fits. Yeah, we uh, we've got one from Poncho Five Seventy, which is uh, I think mostly directed to you. I guess I wrote the cross piece. Uh, enjoy the piece on D- Dingens and Cross. Can you compare and contrast with each bring to the table and what criteria they need to? Uh, meet and slash be able to do separate them to separate themselves as the third tight end uh, will be a fun battle to watch. Yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the credit for that. There was an insider notebook uh, touching on Dinkins and cross a very interesting dynamic there because the third tight end, not the biggest uh, position battle in the world, but you know, Penn state plays three tight ends. So this is going to matter. Um, Dinkins has been lights out in winter workouts, really good. Uh, Cross has been a pleasant surprise. I'll be honest with you, after he missed most of the season last year, did not expect to hear as much Jerry Cross as we're hearing. Um, but the opportunity is certainly there for those guys to get in there to get reps this spring. Um, what they bring to the table, they're actually pretty similar. I know Cross is a little bit bigger. Um, Dinkins, 6'3", Cross, 6'5". Um, but uh, they're, they're guys that are athletic guys that played like a receiver type, um, slot receiver type, big move tight end type uh, type per, type player in high school and they've had to learn to be a a college tight end um jury's still out on jerry cross I, people are high on what he can do athletically but you know when you put those pads on it's gonna be different and, and that's what i keep saying about some of these position battles these offseason position battles is until we see them in spring it really doesn't matter like uh D- khalil dinkins can win 
four out of five winter workout totals. And, you know, if he can't catch the ball, he can't block, it doesn't matter. So, um, but these guys both bring an athletic base to the position that fits into that room. I think it's a really good room still. Um, you know, you, you lose Brenton Strange, who is an excellent tight end. Um, but, but this room has kept chugging on. There's a couple of rooms in this building that um, just continue to churn out quality, uh, quality talent, uh, regardless of who's there. And tight end has been right up there. Um, underperformed two years ago, bounced back this year. And I think they'll be okay again this year. Just, I'm, I'm very curious to see what, uh, what Mike Yersich has planned in terms of personnel groupings. Um, how many receivers he's playing at a time. He likes to play two tight ends because they give you the option uh, of splitting one of those guys out and actually making them a receiver. So they're so versatile. They can do so many things for you. Um, so the third tight end in October, probably not going to matter as much, but it's it's a good look at it this spring um, because I think we're going to see a lot of both of those guys. For the record, I wrote about Jerry Cross overcoming adversity. Well, Okay. I, I stepped back and now I, I know you wrote it. I didn't read it, but I know you wrote it. He was hurt. He was hurt. I mean, and now he he's was. not. I, so like I said, that's... I've heard more Jerry Cross this winter than I expected to hear. And that's a positive thing for a retro freshman. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And I think, Dick, I think Dickens is, uh, he's interesting. There was some buzz about him last year. There was I, I think he's a good player. Of... It's just a matter of, yeah. he was, he was a notch below those three other guys that they had who were three really good tight ends. And yeah. when Dinkins got in there, he was fluid. You, you look at his high school stuff. I'd l- still love to see him on defense um, because he was such a great fluid athlete, you know, could be an edge player. I think he's probably a little bit big for, for linebacker now, but Penn state was looking for linebackers at that point, And that was always brought up as an intriguing option because he's a, good football mind he's a guy that can can move so well anywhere you put him on the field and there's there's always going to be a space for a guy like that so very intriguing to see if tight end is the spot where he breaks through i will segue here because there's a basketball question nate are you ready i'm ready basketball question for nate for next season what can we realistically expect Kerry booth's contribution to be what is his ceiling as a freshman what do you got uh yeah, I mean, freshman All American. Uh, no, I'm, I don't know. That, that Honestly, is a here's feeling. Yes, <laughs> uh, I think that there's there's like a line, right, where anybody that's in the top fifty ish rankings of which Carey finished uh, can expect to be a an immediate contributor. Okay everybody that's kind of below that is, is more of a project. They're they're guys who are going to take Jamil Brown's a good example. Uh, Guys who, who just need some time. They need, they need a little bit of time to develop. Uh, Carrie's right on that line, right? Carrie's right at 50. That's where he finished in the on three rankings for the class of 2023. So I I think that, yeah, it's, there's a need for a stretch forward. They like, they need a guy like that. He's not a, a center. He's, he's, he's not the bruising big body that I think people are hoping for. He does have a big body. He is six ten and a half, I believe, but that's not his game. His, his game is three pointers. His game is, uh, you know, kind of mixing it up inside out. So uh, I, I do think that Penn state look, <laughs> uh, there is, there is a what's right in front of them which is a team that has seven seniors, right? Uh, Guys who are probably not going to be back next year, overwhelmingly, other than Seth Lundy, who still has the decision to make. 
uh, they need guys. Right? Like there's, there's, there's this team and what it's doing, what it's trying to, to achieve this year. And then flipping the page and looking at next year, like it becomes wide open. It becomes a totally different scenario where you really don't know who or what it's going to look like based on the fact that they're going to have scholarships to fill in the transfer portal. And I mean, who knows, who knows, get, uh, rev, rev your engines, get your, get your, uh, earplugs out to drown me out from saying N I L over and over and over and over again, moving on. Uh, Gitney asks whose name will we hear more this season? I like this Smith Vilbert or Zariah Fisher Fitz. That might be a soft G. It might be Jitney. Gitney. Jitney. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Fisher. Um, I think he brings fewer question marks and that's amazing to say for a guy coming off. It was supposed to be a season ending injury, um, but he did work his way back in at the end. He did play in the Rose bowl. Um, Vilbert obviously eligible for the Rose bowl, but did not play. Um, it's just, he's got so many things to take care of that that's got to come first. And then the football is going to come. Fisher has a different version of that. He's got to get fully healthy and it seems like he's fully or close to fully healthy. Um, and I think there's a little bit, uh, I think you feel a little bit safer there um, projecting Fisher um, as crazy as that sounds. So um, it's still an interesting room because both of those guys have a lot to break through. I mean, you, you're looking to go three deep, um, at that position and the guys in front of you have all played, you know, you've got a, a Disa Isaac and chop Robinson. You're projecting as starters. I mean, Vanover and, and uh, deny Dennis Sutton, you're projecting as, as heavy rotation guys. And then what happens to five and six is a big question because, you know, the, there, I think there's probably more of a role for a Fisher in a pass rushing situation. Um, but Vilbert has done some nice things. I'm not overly high in, uh, you know, he's, I don't know that he's a splash guy that's going to immediately jump to the top of your depth chart now that he's eligible to do so. Um, but, uh, I, I just, I'm a little bit higher on Fisher because I, I think he can do a little bit more. Um, and I think the focus has been there for him and not as much for, for Smith Vilbert, but I'm, I'm very curious. It is a strong room. So breaking through for either of those guys is going to be tough, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Fisher on this one. I, I like to revert back to like pre-injury for things like this. And if you had to gauge the post 2022 season buzz for those two players it was definitely higher for fisher right yeah. i mean that was it was a guy who there was more talk about i would say if you looked at some of the comments that james franklin made about smith vilbert um you know it, it was just it was just like hey hold up a little bit right on kind of the crowning him against arkansas i don't think did him any favors in terms of Correct. expectations Correct. Correct. And so, you know, it's just it's just tempering expectations and making sure people have the right uh, mindset in terms of how to judge these guys. So uh, given the fact that Zariah Fisher is a guy who did get hurt, had that buzz before he got hurt and then bounced back quickly enough to to be able to come become a factor and had a little bit of, um, you know, like. There's expectation for him, I think, for sure, as a little little bit of an underdog. But yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, I'll I'll concur. That's my way of concurring. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beaver Hill, recognizing that each recruit's situation is unique. Here we go. How much does a recruit's inner circle, family, friends, handlers, quarterback dads, et cetera, factor in for the Penn State staff when deciding whether to accept a commitment from a recruit? Uh, Meaning, if they rank two prospects fairly close on the board, how much weight will that carry when decision time comes? Let's start there. Okay. Then we can move that's, on. that's a great question because I've heard it countless times um, because this stuff matters. Like, because you're not just recruiting a kid to get on your commitment list, you're recruiting a kid for the next four years to be around your team. And I like, I love the way that was asked uh, if two prospects wrote rate, or excuse me, if two prospects rate closely, is this a tipping point? And it absolutely is. Like, this yeah. is a situation that could be a deal breaker or a tiebreaker, I guess is probably a better way to say it. We've heard so many times coming out of visits where you get a chance to be around these guys and their families for an entire weekend. And it's like, I don't know that we can take dad or mom or, you know, like, I don't know that that's a plus to be around our program for the next several years. And it's not the be all end all. I mean, it's there's there's obviously levels to this in terms of how much uh, or how much the talent matters and how much uh, or how close somebody else is, how realistic somebody else is to coming on board. But we've seen it a bunch. Like there there are situations where guys come in and you know it's it's more the the latter part of of this generality here when you say family, friends, handlers, and QB dads. For those not familiar, QB dads have earned a reputation, uh, you know, and it's, and it's a lot of positions. It's not just quarterback, but the overbearing, my son is better than every, everyone else. And you need to treat him as such. You get that more with quarterbacks than you get with anybody else because these quarterbacks are so few and far between. And typically if there's a quarterback dad, that means there's been a trainer in his life since elementary school or middle school or something like that. And to be honest with you, the flame out rate on those guys is higher because of the pressure that's put on that the, the parents not trying to put all this pressure on their kid, but they are, you know, psychologically and, and things like that. So you see that type of thing and that's something that throws up a red flag. Um, and it's, it's tough because you may find a kid, you know, Penn state's recruited some really, really good kids whose parents for lack of a better word or people around him for lack of a better word have been toxic. And that's, that's something that will reflect poorly on the prospect um, even if he doesn't deserve it. So yeah. um, we've seen instances where there are, you know, guys that, you know, have terrible relationships with their parents because of the pressure and all of a sudden it becomes a breaking point. And then that's the story. That's the sort of thing that trickles down into their development, into the way that they handle things um, and into like the, the psychological aspect of the game, which we don't, we don't really talk about as much as we probably should. So, Yes, absolutely. I mean, and and, and we're talking a, a small percentage of of these visits and these these prospects and things like that, but still very prevalent in trying to decide who is the right fit for your program, especially at a place like Penn State. I mean, Penn State takes a type of kid and it's, you know, it's it's fairly uniform across the board, you know, as they continue to branch out nationally and things like that. There's there's different factors that play into it, but it's typically, you know, there's a difference between being 
um, boisterous, loud, things like that. And there's, and then there's being just an absolute a-hole, you know, there's, and, and, and it's fairly clear, especially when you come in for uh, a weekend for, for an official visit or something like that. Um, there's, there's, there's levels to that. And, and I think it's, it's popped up and probably doesn't make it to the surface as much as it should. We talk about it on message boards and things like that, but it's a bad look to, to trash parents and things like that. But yeah. as a generality, like this stuff does happen and it does change boards. It changes the way that, that, that coaches want to recruit players like that's 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 a big thing too is like how much time do i have to waste um talking to dad or or talking to mom or talking to that and and there's a difference between wasting time talking to him and recruiting the parent you know so yeah i I think that's a great question because it's it's something we probably don't talk about in the the public sphere as much as uh people would like us to um but it's absolutely an issue for um coaches when they're trying to determine the best fit for their program Two, two, two things. Uh, and this is not in any way devil's advocate. There are definitely uh, bad apples out there, you know, overbearing, whatever. But let's also bottom line this. We're both parents. We have young kids. So that's not really the same, but you want the best for them. Right. right. So they're like, this is messy. It's ugly. Recruiting is all of those things. It is, it is a jungle and a tangle to deal with, uh, I think, at every level. And so. I, I, my sense has, has kind of always been that even the most overbearing parents uh, typically have the best interests of their kids in mind, whether that's in the immediate or the long-term future. So they're, they are in a lot of ways handing over their, their kids' future successes, uh, you know, to be handled by somebody else. So that's, that's a hard process. The second thing that I, I think is relevant is a lot of times, Yes, you, it's just based on the staff, right? It's based on the the position coach and who is recruiting the kid the hardest, but how that person individually handles the parent, right? Right? Like what what their tolerance is because because it's different. It, there's there's just and you know this. There, there's different ways to handle different people. The more experience you have, the more of a people person you are. Like what what all of those different factors weigh into whether or not you are able as an assistant coach to take on whatever challenges in whatever shape or form that might take from the parent. Uh, it, you know, it, it might be. So I, I do think that those are two kind of relevant things. You, you recruit families like that. Like Franklin says it, and it's not just like window dressing here. Like you do recruit families because those are, you know, you, 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 figure out how these guys deal with adversity by seeing what their environment was and things like that. And, and every situation is different. You're bringing a kid in from the inner city is going to be different than a kid where we're, that came from where we're from. You know, there's, there's so many things at play here and you have to balance that. And like I said, it's not a large percentage, but it can be a tie breaking situation. Um, and I'll also say this too many parents have seen blue chips and think that that's how everything goes. And it's yep. not like it, there's there's levels to this. And even with NIL and this becoming all legal, there's levels to how, you know, much value that, that you, your kid or your your prop, you know, your I don't want to say property, but your uh, entire contingent has to uh, a program. So I think yep. that that's kind of the funny thing is like some people just just go straight out, walk with your hand out, you know, see what happens. And some programs acknowledge that some programs work with that. Um, Penn yeah. State's not really one of those um, that does that. So it's, um, it's, it's a very interesting um, uh, like 
realm of recruiting that we live in where some people have the expectation and then some people or some people realize the expectation some people realize the reality and some people are looking for a tractor looking for whatever they got in blue chips um as a everybody gets this type of situation sure of, of which you've already started on it but we should answer the second part of the question uh when if how nil is brought up by a recruits family how much of a red flag is that in the process specifically for penn state it's not a red flag anymore. I mean, it's part of this part of the process. You know, the, that's what you have to figure out if you're if you're there now, how much you ask about it, how much you expect from it, it that can be a red flag. Like that's very different. Like I, I think back to um, James Franklin's comments about Alex Birchmeyer it, it, um, uh, at signing day in December it was like, OK, they didn't ask about a ton of that stuff. Um, you ask enough of that stuff and then you just kind of let it go and let the the process work out itself. And I think those are going to be the most successful. If you talk to our NL, NIL guys at on three, um, you, you see a lot of this. Um, what is the appropriate thing to chase, whether it's a dollar amount, whether it's a car, you know, what, whatever have you, I think the ones that, you know, make that and uh, make that a data point in their decision-making that's great. The ones that make it about their decision and like make, make NIL their decision are the ones that are not going to be successful. Yeah. What it's the, what it's the, the timing is I think a, a big part of it is if it comes up first, if it's like the first thing that you're talking about, if it's the first thing that you're acting, asking about, uh, if it is a, if it is an element that you are, I'm not going to say making things up, but embellishing what the other offers are, because as Penn State, you can't see what those are. Uh, like if you don't have a good grasp of what the market is for you as the player, or if you're the parents, your kid or the handler, whatever it is, uh, and you're, you're just trying to like create a bidding war, that's when you get situations that we've seen nationally that that end up very very poorly so uh it's just it's just about like this balance between in any negotiation there has to be a a certain amount of trust and maybe mistrust or distrust to a certain extent right you want to make sure that you're getting yours you want to make sure that you're uh receiving some type of fair value for what the market says you're worth uh but uh, you know i just think it's it's a dance that uh, if you're if both sides are coming at it from a respectful, honest perspective, you're going to be OK. Yeah. Moving I mean, on. It, it, it was like the, the old days when, you know, the, fir- the first thing you ask about is coming out and how much can you pay us to play here? Like then four places, like four multiple places, including Penn State, it was kind of like just, you know, take your take yourself somewhere else, like make it work. If, if that's the way that you approach Penn State, that's probably the way that they're going to treat you. Now, if you get in and you talk about the academics, you talk about the coaching staff, you talk about all the fits and the comfort level and locate, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and you also fold into that NIL, that's, that's perfectly fine. Like that's the process now. Like that's, this is all part of the process. It's all out in, not out in the open, but it's all something that you can actually talk about on the, on a legal level now. And I think that yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer a red flag to, uh, to say that this kid wants to get paid because all these kids want to get paid. Yeah, no doubt. Brian Rintz asks with the majority of the big 10 games going to Fox seems like the sad end of an error for college football game day coming to state college, obviously ESPN. Uh, what are your thoughts? 
Oh, me? I, I don't have many thoughts on this. I, <laughs> again, uh, TV deals, all that kind of stuff. Not my, not my thing. I mean, I think it's still an environment. It's still some, it's still a place that they've come and been treated very well before. Um, and like, I think they've had game day games or game day locations on not pen or not ESPN properties. I could be wrong on that. Uh, SEC yeah. would seem to think that that's, you know, that's, that, that's part of, they've done it for CBS for, for so many years. So I don't have too many thoughts on it. I think that Penn state is still such an attractive brand. It's still such a, the whiteout is still such a big brand um, that they will, will definitely be back here. I would think. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to, it's just such a stale product. I mean, I, I don't watch it. Uh, very rarely do I at this point, but like three hours of pregame coverage for football. It's just, it's too much. Uh, and so I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, Wilbert 2 asks, Clifford and McSorley both had 11 wins in their first year starting as a redshirt sophomore and I believe first year offensive coordinators. It's probably hard to give a number without context of what happens in the season, but how many wins do you think would be considered a disappointment for Drew Aller in his first year? That, that first part of the question, it's probably hard to give a number without the context of what happens in a season is burying a hell of a lot of weight in that sentence. Um, <laughs> like the numbers is, is fantastic. You know, you'd love to get to 11 wins any season. Uh, Mick Sorley did it very well um in terms of like the uh getting you know winning a big 10 tight you know all that kind of stuff um clifford's was seemed different like it didn't seem like sean clifford like the the play of sean clifford and the play of trace mcsorley uh are kind of separated here and win total may have ended up the same or close or whatever um but this is kind of not how we judge those quarterbacks it's all in let me quote this correctly the context in which um sorry that, that went away context of what happens in the season so i i don't think you put a number on it. This is a team success type thing. Um, if Drew, if Drew Aller comes out and plays really well and, um, you know, they, they win 10 games, that's great. If he comes out and plays average and he wins 12 games, you would take that over, you know, the 10 game season. So this is a team sport. I, I just, I'm not a huge proponent of everything. It's like wins for pitchers in baseball. Like, you know, that's a, not everything is going to is going to center and revolve around uh, Drew Aller, even though that Penn state ceiling could very well do so. Fitz, like, do I sound like a hater to just be uncomfortable with the presumptiveness? Like, I, I just let this play out, right? <laughs> like, let I, let let him win the job. Let like let's start there. Let I mean, I, I know it's an assumption, and I think it's a fair assumption to make, but just just let him win the job first. <laughs> like, don't if you're a Penn State fan and you're, you're like putting it in your mind of, hey, what's a reasonable expectation for this kid? in year one it's not I, even I just, that the question is what would be considered a disappointment like you're setting yourself up to just absolutely hate yourself by asking a question like that right like that well it's it's I, but no that's it this is the this is the barometer of which I, I think fans judge things is they're saying to themselves okay well i'm going to set a standard right now that if it's not met i'm going to be upset <laughs> Right. Like, and so you're going to be upset at somebody, whether it's, whether it's Drew Aller, whether it's James Franklin, Mike Yersich, what have you, you're, you're just setting the stage without taking into account all of these other factors that play into the outcome of a season. But we're not going to ask about how good the rest of the big 10 is next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
it does it not matter who the opponents are on the schedule? Does West Virginia? I, I don't know anything about West Virginia. Is West Virginia no, good? Can we, good? Yeah. Okay. Well then, point taken. They should win eleven games. Moving on. <laughs> PSU Crusader. On paper, the weakness of Penn State's defense next year will be up the middle. James Franklin's favorite thing. Uh, questions at defensive tackle. Mike Linebacker is the most questionable of the three spots. Also losing a great tackler and all-around player in Tig Brown. With this in mind, how does the staff think... Wait, should we do the first part? Yeah, <laughs> let's, okay. let's do, the, do the first part. Uh, will Penn State's defense not be good up the middle next season? They're going to have a chance to grow into it. Like, I mean, it, it, it's a situation where I think the schedule sets up nicely um, where you can get those defensive tackle season. You can figure out uh, you can figure out your rep split at Mike um, because I think you're going to go in with the same guys, Elsden and King. And I know Penn State fans really don't want to hear that unless some big change happens where you see Abdul Carter move into the middle. Um, I just I don't think that's going to happen. So um, you you get some time to grow into it and then you hit the meat of your schedule. And then that's when you have to figure out if the growing that you did is realistic or if it's just a, a mirage. So um, you've got a lot to, to work with. Um, I, I will say as much as we question losing Mustafer, the questions at Mike, you're right about losing an all around player like Tig Brown. He could do so many things to erase um, for you, especially in the run game. Um, and you look at the safeties that they have and they're, they're good safeties. Jalen Reed's going to have to um, almost be that guy. Keaton Ellis. I don't know that he is, shown that he's the physical guy that can come up and do a little bit of everything like Tig Brown can. Um, so you're going to have to rely on Jalen Reed to be that guy. Um, and and I don't just don't think he's there yet. And that's not an insult to Jalen Reed because Tig Brown was so good at what he did. So, yeah, you've got issues up the middle. You're going to have to grow into it. You're going to have to figure out um, what your what your rep splits are at, at, at all three of those positions, to be honest with you. Yeah. Do you want do you want to answer the Michigan part or should we because I, I... How does the staff think about the Michigan matchup? I don't think that we're aware of that at this I point. I don't think we're February. asking the staff about the Michigan game yet. I mean, like <laughs> you understand what's on tape. You understand that those running backs are coming back. You understand how flat on your face you absolutely fell um, this year at the, at the big house. So you've got to, you got to be accountable for that. You've got to change some things, but uh, until you get there, until you know what personnel you're going to have available for that game, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a question for game week rather than February, the end of February. Yeah, I, I mean, let's let's at least throw this out there. Michigan's not going to like Jim Harbaugh's DNA isn't changing from right. this year to next, right? It's going to be the same deal. So you either can handle it or you can't. We'll see. Uh, Dark Horse Tuesday. I think this is probably going to be our last one. Uh, any idea on what we should expect from the format of the blue white game uh, this year? Something similar to last year, even with enough offensive line or back to a more traditional spring game? I think you go back to more of a traditional spring game. I don't know that it's ever going to be like full, you know, uh, two teams going against each other for four quarters. Um, you got to figure out, you know, you, you have limited quarterbacks, you have uh, more offensive linemen, but you're going to have to split and, and have some guys play different you know, positions. I will say I looked at last year's blue white game. They had nine offensive linemen play you know, you could probably double that number right now. So yeah. um, I don't know if you feel the best about some of those guys from 15 to 18, but still like they're, they're capable of going in there and playing a traditional, 
traditional spring game with the hand quotes. So I think we, we get back toward that. Um, but it's going to, it's going to depend on how healthy they stay through the spring. It's going to depend on, you know, what, what they have, um, especially a quarterback, how many reps they want to get, uh, those guys. I, I think that that all goes into it. And I don't think any coach like in the country wants to play four quarters of their guys against their own guys. Like for, from a health perspective, from an entertainment perspective, you're trying to make it a spectacle weekend, but you're also trying not to let it bleed too long where it goes from spectacle to, Hey, are we still out here? Cause we could, we could, we could have wrapped this up 20 minutes ago, a half hour ago. So, and, and it's, and it's still a practice. It's still some, something where you want to get your work in. And, uh, but Given, I think that was the low point last year in terms of numbers, um, especially in the offensive line, where you just you physically could not field two teams, and that's seems to have gone away. Uh, they've they've done a lot of restocking in the last year in the, on the offensive line. Yeah, no injuries. You just don't want injuries. Um, I think that's it. I think we're uh, we're at our 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 hard cap time limit. Fits. Thank you for answering questions. That's it. That's all I got. What do you got? Yeah. Anything? No, I mean, it, uh, we didn't, we talked about intros. We didn't talk about the, uh, the, uh, the outro here. Thank um, you, but, Frank. Yep. Check out bluewhiteillustrated.com and listen to our stuff. Subscribe, like everything like that. Thank you for joining us on this lovely Thursday in Happy Valley. Leave reviews.